Well, good morning. How's everybody out there today? Nice? All right, good. Uh, we're going to look in Acts again today, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Acts. And uh, we're, we're doing this sermon series about the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, and we're also doing those same things in life groups. Now, today is the last Sunday that you have to register for a life group here, it's, so sign up here in, in the atrium. Now, you can probably still register maybe tomorrow online, perhaps, if Chris doesn't take those uh, sign-up sheets off by tomorrow. But, but the, the, the deal is, is if you've been waiting to do it and you still can't figure out, time's running out. So you need to go ahead because life groups are going to begin meeting next week. Most of them will begin meeting next week. And so, uh, so go ahead and uh, sign up for that. It's a great way to get to know folks, but it's also a great way to spend some time going a little more in-depth into the first seven chapters of Acts than we're going to go on Sunday mornings. So we're going we're gonna to be teaching about this on Sunday mornings. You're going to be learning about it in life groups, and hopefully what will happen is, is that it will begin to change our thinking and uh, get us excited about what God wants us to be as a church. Now, I want to I share just a little story with you before we start <clears throat> the regular message. And uh, because I think it's, it's really what this church is supposed to be all about. Um, one of the guys that goes to our church is, um, grew up here in Greer and uh, went to Greer High School, had a lot of buddies and that kind of stuff. And, um, and anyway, one of his old buddies was involved in a serious near-fatal car accident uh, over the weekend. And, uh, and it was him and it was three other guys in the car with him and they're all in bad shape. And uh, things aren't looking good. But here's the cool part. As the, uh, the older brother of the guy who was driving the car calls this, this fellow who's a member of our church. And he said, hey, are you still going to church? And are you still living differently than you used to live was kind of the idea. And uh, he said, yeah, absolutely I am. And so he tells him about this accident. And he said, we need you to come up here because we need Jesus here. And we need you to come up here. And we need you to talk to your old buddy who's still doing the stupid things that you used to do, and, uh, and we need you to, to share Jesus with him. And so that's where he is. He left and he went up there this weekend, and that's where he is right now. And that's what this church is supposed to be about. Uh, if there, needs to be, there need to be people that can look at our lives and say, you know what? You're not like everybody else, and I'm in this, I've messed this thing up bad, and so I need you to, to help me figure out what Jesus wants for me. I need you to help me figure out what this is, what this is all about. <clears throat> and I could not be more excited about the fact that, that, that he doesn't get to worship with us today because he's up in North Carolina at a hospital trying to help a family who's, who's about to, to lose somebody and, uh, and, and all that. And so, so I just want y'all to, to think about that this week. And, uh, and you can pray for who, I, and I'll tell you who that person is later if, if you want me to. I just didn't get permission to say it from stage. So um, but, but be praying for that guy, and he's somebody that a lot of you that go, come here you know, and, and he's ministering right now. But think about that for our own lives. We're talking about Acts 1 through 7. We're talking about the church that just last week, remember the very first, first message in this series, what did Jesus say? He said that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and in to the other, other parts of the world. That's what he told him. You will be my witnesses. And so that's what we're talking about doing. We're talking about taking what we learn here and not just hanging around here and thinking, wow, Jesus is really nice. I'm glad I met him and, and keeping all of that within the walls of this place, but taking that out everywhere that we go. 
Taking that out into the places we work. Taking that out into the places where we go to school and into the places where, where we live and, and where we do our hobbies and all of that stuff. We take that message with us to all of those places. And so that when there is a situation where somebody might be open to hearing the gospel, like maybe there's been a tragic accident or maybe they just have gotten to the point where they're sick and tired of being sick and tired of the way they live their lives and they're looking for, for those answers, you're there, you're ready because you've been living like it. You've taken it out of this walls and, and you're out there every day living for Jesus. And that's what this church needs to be all about. So we're going to continue today looking at the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 1. And we're, we're jumping in right where we left off last week. We're jumping in at, chapter, at a, ver, chapter 1, verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. And what I want to do is I'm going to start by just, I'm going to read through verse 12 through 26 and then kind of stop and talk about a couple of these things. And, and then we're going to get to the one big idea that we're going to talk about today. Acts 1, if you don't have your Bibles, by the way, you'll notice there's this gigantic screen behind me. You can look right there. <clears throat> Acts 1, 12 through 26. Then they return. Oh, okay, let me, I'm already jumping in. Before I, I just say then, then I already jump in. Remember, last week, they were there at the Mount of Olives. Jesus told them what he was telling them. And then what happened? Jesus, a cloud comes down and takes Jesus up to heaven. And they're standing there looking at the sky. Two angels show up and say, what are you standing here looking around in the sky for? Jesus is going to come back just like he said he would. That was what happened in verse 11. Verse 12, this is the next thing. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now notice the guys that were present. If you look back into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when it talks about Jesus selecting the first 12 disciples, if you read the first 12 disciples, all 11 of the names that are listed in 13 were there. These are the guys who Jesus originally selected and said, you follow me, you're going to be my disciple. And these are the guys that hung around with Jesus for the whole three years that he was doing his ministry. They were the guys that were there from the beginning and they're still there today, except for one. Remember Judas Iscariot, who was the one who betrayed Jesus. And we're going to read more about him in just a minute. And by the way, wouldn't you hate to be Judas, son of James, because you got the same name as Judas, the other Judas? And people would probably see him around town and go, hey, I, I thought, aren't you the guy that betrayed? I thought you killed yourself. What's the deal? You know, and he'd have to say, no, I'm the other Judas. You know, so if I was him, I would change my name to JJ for Judas, son of James. But I don't know if he did that or not. All right, then look at verse 14. <clears throat> they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus had brothers, just like you have brothers. And uh, I don't know, I, Jesus probably didn't pick on them because he was Jesus, but he had little brothers. And, uh, and so that was, that's pretty cool. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said... Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now, notice who's the one standing up and speaking. It's Peter. 
Now, Peter was supposed to become the leader of the new church because that's what Jesus asked him to do. I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you look, you don't have to look back now, but if you look back at the end of the book of John, in John chapter 21, there's this story where Peter had, had uh, denied that he knew Jesus. I don't know if you knew that or not, but the day Jesus was crucified, the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter denied he ever knew Jesus, said, I don't know who this guy is. He started cussing and you know, just threw a big fit out in public and all this kind of stuff. When Jesus comes back from the grave, even, the, even though Peter had denied him, Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus said, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, well, then feed my sheep. And then he asked him that same question three times. And every time he came back with the answer, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And what he was telling Peter then is, I'm getting ready to leave the earth. And when I'm gone, I want you to take over as leader. You're going to be the leader of this new church, the leader of this new movement. So Peter's the one who stood up that day and began to speak about what they need to do next because Jesus had appointed him as a leader. Look at verse 18, what comes next. <clears throat> With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. And that's a nice picture, isn't it? Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, that is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Now let me just stop one more time before I read through the end. And this is not the big point of the day, but we can do a whole message on this. I think it's very interesting the different reactions that Peter and Judas had to failure. Judas failed by betraying Jesus. Peter failed almost just as bad by denying Jesus. But now here we have a situation where Peter is now the leader of the new church. He willingly accepted the grace that Jesus gave him. He accepted the forgiveness. And now here he is leading the new church. Whereas Judas, he thought that he was beyond forgiveness. He, he, he thought that he couldn't be saved for the, for the bad thing that he did. And he would not accept the grace of Jesus. And Judas is no longer even on the earth at this point. So I want to say to you today, I don't know what your situation is where you've been, how bad you've been, whatever the deal is, none of you are too bad for the grace of Jesus. None of you are too far gone that the love of Christ cannot rescue you out of whatever you've done or whatever you're doing right now. All right, let's continue on with the story. So verse 22, <clears throat> Peter's still speaking, and he says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, as we read through that story, compared to what we read last week, where it was this exciting time where Jesus' final days on earth, and he gives this great command of, that you're going to go out and you're going to be witnesses, and then he goes up into the air on a cloud, and compared to what's going to happen next week when we get into chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost, and I hope you've already read ahead, like I asked you to next, last week, I hope you've already read chapter 2, and you know the exciting stuff that happens there. When, when we read this, this kind of just seems like, well, this is like an administrative kind of business meeting. 
They needed to hire a new guy to be the, the next apostle, and they did it. I mean, you know, what, what's the big deal about that? And no one, no one gets saved, which is going to happen later. No one gets baptized, which is going to happen later. No one gets healed, which is going to happen later. No one drops dead, gets struck dead by God for lying, which is going to happen later. Yeah, that's going to happen later. You don't want to miss that week when that happens. And so, so there's no, none of this real exciting stuff that we're going to see in the rest of the book of Acts. And when we read this, it'd be easy for us just to kind of skim over this and say, this is just kind of a connecting story between the cool stuff that happened at the Mount of Olives and the amazing stuff that's going to happen at the day of Pentecost. But if we did that, we would miss out on a very important thing that I think is going on here. Because I believe that what happened here sets the stage for what's going to happen at Pentecost. That when the disciples gathered together and, and, and they went to the place that Jesus told them to go and they gathered together, that what they did while they were there, it really sets the stage for what happens next. And here's the one big idea, here's the one big point that we're going to talk about today, and that's this. Doing the work of Jesus begins and ends with prayer. Doing the work of Jesus <clears throat> begins and ends with prayer. Look at verse 14 of Acts 1. What were they doing when they were together? It says this. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Constantly in prayer. Now, if you'll remember last week, what was it that Jesus told them to do? Before he said, you're going to be my witnesses, he gave them a command in Acts 1, verse 4. Does anybody remember what it was? It starts with a W. Does anybody remember one word? Huh? Wait. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the gift of the Spirit that, my, that I'm going to send you. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So here they were. Now, now think about this. In just a couple verses after that, then Jesus says to them, you're going to be my witnesses. Man, it's going to go all over the world. It's going to be this amazing thing. Then he goes up into heaven. And, and now all of a sudden, all that excitement, they have to wait. They have to just sit around and wait. They don't know how long it's going to be. Jesus didn't say, go to Jerusalem and wait, and it's just going to be a little while until Pentecost gets here, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come. For all they knew, it could have been, it's going to be five years, and then the Spirit's going to come. And in that five years, just wait. But all they knew is that they had to wait. And so during the time that they were waiting, I'm sure for them it was kind of difficult to do that. But this, we see how wise that they are how much they've grown, how, how close they've gotten to Jesus. Because during the time they were waiting, instead of just sitting around, it says that they constantly joined together in prayer. They spent the time not just sitting around, but they spent the time actively praying and seeking what the next steps that Jesus would have them to do. And by doing that, they learned what the next step was they needed to take, which was select someone new to, to replace Judas. That, that Jesus didn't tell them that before he left. He didn't say, by the way, y'all remember what Jesus, Judas did? Hey, you've got to get one more guy in here. It needs to be 12. Jesus, Jesus didn't tell them that. But what happened was that as they spent time praying, they understood, they, they heard the voice of God, and he led them to do what, what they knew needed to be done next. But that only happened through doing prayer. Now, if you're an American and, and, uh, and you're a normal American, you probably don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. If I go to Walmart and, and they've got 35 registers and they only have three open and there's more than two people in all three of those, I want to go see the manager and ask them why they haven't opened another one because I don't want to wait. 
behind those two people. And you're the same way. If I go to the grocery store and it's the 10 items or less line and there's some dude up there with 12 items, I want to go up to him and say, either I'm taking two items out of your cart or you're going to the other line because I don't want to wait. And that's the way we are in America. if, If you want to read a book now, you don't have to go reserve it at the library and wait for it to come in. You can take out your iPad or your Kindle. You can master about three buttons and then you can be reading that book. It's amazing. And so we are in this society where we don't have to wait and we don't like to wait. And so, so we're not that different than the disciples were then. We get in situations where sometimes God tells us to wait, where, where he's told us something to do and we do that and then everything just kind of stops and then we're wondering, okay, what's next? What are we, we going to do next? I don't like just sitting around. And a lot of times there's, there's three things I think that we tend to do during a time of waiting this different than, than what the disciples did. And, and, and there, uh, some of these three things, this is real simple, but one of the things that we tend to do when we have to wait is we tend to do our own thing. We tend to do our own thing. And that would mean in this situation like making plans. Does anybody, I like to make plans for stuff. Uh, I like to know what's going to happen and, and we're going to figure it out and, and we're going to make this plan and we're going to execute the plan and it's going to work and it's going to be awesome. And so if I was the disciples... I'd have been saying, okay, Jesus said, we're going to take the, 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 uh, the uh, gospel to Jerusalem, which is where we are now. We kind of got that covered. Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. Uh, anybody got relatives in Judea? Okay, you do? Cool. You're going to handle Judea. Go ahead and, and call them. Let them know you're coming. Maybe they can set up a revival service. Uh, we got to get somebody in Samaria. Matthew, you got any people in Samaria? Okay, you, got, you know, we made a plan and do this. And, and that wouldn't have, that, plans are good. Okay, I'm not saying that would have been the worst thing ever. But in this situation, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. He didn't say, go to Jerusalem and come up with a plan to how to do what I'm telling you is going to happen. He said, go and wait for the Spirit. And if they'd have done that, they'd have been doing their own thing, which wouldn't have been the God thing. They'd have been doing their own thing. The other thing I think sometimes we do during a time of waiting, which is worse than our own thing, is we do sinful things. We do sinful things. What happens is, is we feel like maybe God's abandoned us. We feel like there was one time in our life when, when we really felt like God was moving in our life and, and he, was, he was pushing us in a direction and we were following Him and we felt good about that and now all of a sudden everything stopped and it's slowed down and, and we feel like we're in a holding pattern and, and, and we begin to, to kind of wander away from what we know is right. We, we begin to put some practices in our life that, life that, that don't glorify Him. And see, this could have happened for the disciples. I know you're thinking, no, nah, man, put these were the apostles. They were awesome. They were so much more spiritual than we were. They'd been in, with Jesus for three years. Don't forget that just a few weeks before this, every single one of these guys abandoned Jesus at His greatest time of need. When, when they arrested Jesus and they began to whip Him, not a one of them were around. They beat it out of there. Because they were afraid they were going to get arrested too. Every single one of them. There wasn't one that said, hey, I'm his follower. I'm standing with Jesus. I don't care what you do to me. No, they all got out of there. And so it could have been very easy for them at this point to say, man, Jesus was right here with us. Now he's gone. He told us to wait. We're tired of waiting. And some of them, it would have been easy for them to begin to wander off from what they knew to be right. But they didn't because instead they joined together constantly in prayer, which kept them focused on what they need to be doing. Now, the last thing sometimes that we tend to do when, uh, when we are in a time of waiting is we do nothing. We do our own thing, we do simple things, and sometimes we just do nothing. 
which a lot of times leads to the sinful things, but we do nothing. Where, where we just say, you know what? I, I don't know what to do, and, and, uh, and I'm not going to pray. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to sit around here, and I'm not going to do a thing. And now, here, here's the deal with this situation. When, when you look at, at what Peter said here, you look at, at how important this was. For them to replace Judas with Matthias, it was so important that it was written about in Scripture. Did you notice that? Look at, verses, uh, look at verse 20 of Acts chapter 1. It says this, For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. It was so important that they replaced Judas that it was written about in the book of Psalms 1,000 years earlier. And if they had done nothing, if they had not spent time in prayer, if they had not studied the Scripture enough to know that this was in there, if they had done nothing, then when, then when chapter 2 shows up and, and Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit shows up, they would have been a man short. The team would have been short one player. Now, how much of a difference that would have made, I don't know. But I know this, God thought it was so important that there would be 12 of them instead of 11 of them that he used King David, who didn't even know any of these guys were going to exist, he used King David to prophesy that this needed to happen a thousand years before. That's how important it was to God. And the way they discovered that was not through doing their own thing, was not through making plans. It was not through doing sinful things. It was not through doing nothing, but it was through praying and reading the Scripture. And through praying and reading the Scripture, instead of missing out on what God wanted, they figured out what the God thing was that needed to happen. Not nothing, not their own thing, not sinful things, but the God thing. And if our church is going to be serious about doing the God thing in this community, if we're going to be serious about taking the gospel outside of these walls and letting people know that they need Jesus, that if they die without, them, without him, they're going to spend eternity in hell. If we're going to be serious about doing the God thing, then it's got to start with prayer. It's got to start with understanding prayer and understanding the scriptures. Because the God thing is discovered in prayer and it's confirmed in his word. The God thing is discovered in prayer and it's confirmed in his word. Now, if you will notice... As they were praying, it says, Then Peter stood up, and he began to talk to them. They had been praying about this, and, and God spoke to them and said, This is what needs to happen. Now, I don't know if he spoke just to Peter, and Peter relayed that to the others. I don't know if there was a consensus among everybody, but what I do know is that there had been lots of time constantly praying. So, so daily, probably multiple times a day, they're gathering together, and it's through those times of prayer that somebody figures out, they hear the voice of Jesus to say, We've got to replace Judas. And so not only do, do they discover it through prayer, but then how is it confirmed? It's confirmed in the Word of God. These were guys that had read the Scriptures. These were guys that were familiar enough with the book of Psalms that when they begin to understand, you know what, I think God wants us to replace Judas, somebody is able to look in the book of Psalms and say, you know what, God told me, it's confirmed it right here in Psalms that that's what he wants us to do. This was preached about, this was talked about 1,000 years before. And prayer was throughout this whole process. The work of Jesus begins and ends with prayer. See, they prayed at the beginning. God, what do you want us to do? And then they prayed through the process. And then they even prayed at the end. Look at, look at verse 21. Look at how this thing plays out. Verse 21 
says this, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Acts one twenty one. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So Peter has figured out what needs to happen, and he's laying out the plan. Here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. And then look at verse 23. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. So Peter lays out the plan in verse 21. Verse 23, they start to act on the plan that Jesus has told them to do. And then look at verse 24. Look at the last thing that they do before they do it. Then they, say it with me, prayed. Say it again. Then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. They prayed at the beginning of the process and God revealed to them what to do. It was confirmed in Scripture. They begin to act on it. And then as they're going through the process, before they finish up, what do they do again? They pray. It's not, it wasn't just enough for them at the beginning to say, okay, we've prayed, we've got it figured out, we don't have to worry about prayer anymore, put that out of the way, now we can just get to work. Prayer is not work, this is work. See, that's what we tend to do a lot of times. We tend to think those two things are se- separate. But a lot of times prayer is the hardest work that can be done. And so they prayed first, then they get to, to working through the process, and then they continue to pray, and they pray at the very end again, just to be sure, just to know, God, we want to glorify you, we want to know that everything we do is about you. If we want to do the work of Jesus in this church, if you want to do the work of Jesus in your own life, we've got to begin that work with prayer, we've got to pray through that work, and we've got to end that work with prayer. It's all got to be filled up with us going to God and asking for His wisdom and His guidance and all of it. I don't know how many of you have a, um, like a smartphone or something that has a GPS in it. I don't know how many of you use the GPS when you drive. Uh, I think that stands for Global Positioning System. But no one, if you ever have somebody says, I'm going to put my Global Positioning System in the car, you know they're really a geek. But most of us call them a GPS. And so uh, if you've ever used one and you put it up on the dash of your car or, or find it on your smartphone, now, if, if they've got all the most recent maps loaded into them, and if you've got one on your phone or something, it should, those things are accurate. They'll, you can punch in an address and, and be somewhere where you don't even know where you are, and if it's got the right stuff in it and it's working properly, it's going to take you, you know, where you need to get to. It's going to get you there. And, and, and then it'll, it'll tell you, you know, go up here to this light and turn, and you've got to turn. But the, but the GPS is only good at getting you where you need to go if you, as the user, listen to the instructions of it and then do what it says. If it says turn right in 1.5 miles, and in 1.5 miles you turn left, that's not the GPS's fault. That's your fault. That's user error, right? Now, for us, prayer is, is really like a GPS for us in our spiritual life. And, and God is constantly trying to communicate what, with us. He wants you to know where you're supposed to go. He wants you to know what the next steps are. He doesn't want you wandering around, wondering. He doesn't want you wasting a bunch of time doing something that doesn't glorify Him. He wants you to know, and He's trying to reveal it to you through the Scriptures and trying to reveal it to you through prayer. But a lot of times what happens is, is is we react to Jesus the same way it would be if we took that GPS that's sitting on the dash of my car and I turned the volume all the way down 
and I covered up the screen of it with like a towel. Now, the guidance is still there, right? It's still giving, spitting me out instructions, but I can't hear them, and I can't see them, and so I'm not going to obey them. But in our lives, if we will pray, if, if in, for our church, if we want to know what the step next steps are for our church, if we will spend time in prayer, then the guidance is going to be there, and then it's up to us to hear it, and it's up to us to act on it and obey it so that we can get to the place that Jesus wants us to get to. And so if we want to be the kind of church that's going to help people discover the true freedom that only Christ can give, which is what we talk about here all the time, we've got to pray before we do that, we've got to pray during the time we're doing that, and we need to pray after it's done. Now, I don't know how many of you... um, have grown up in church or spent much time in church. But we've spent, I don't know, 30 minutes here or so talking about one idea that we need to pray. If there's any of you that grew up in church, there's not a one of you that would say, I've never heard that before. That's not a new idea. I didn't, I'm not saying something to you here today that you're going to go, man, that Cliff, he is so keen and sharp at interpreting the Scriptures because I never even knew that Scripture said to pray. That's not the case. You've heard this a million times if you grew up in church. But let me tell you something about prayer in church. Prayer is something that gets talked about much more than it gets done. It is. Prayer gets talked about much more than it gets done. I've been to churches where they had something on the schedule called a prayer meeting. You know what happened at the prayer meeting? If somebody read off a list of sick people, and people who were shut in, and then there was about a, I was going to say five-minute prayer, but that's too long. There was about a two-and-a-half-minute prayer spoken for those people, and then the pastor got up and did what I'm doing right now. He gave a Bible study, and we called that prayer meeting. And we felt good at our church because we're a church that believes in prayer so much, we have a prayer meeting. But we're good at talking about prayer, but we're not good at praying. And I want to I confess something to you here today. I struggle with prayer. I struggle with it. If, if somebody tells me, man, I, I went home and I spent an hour and a half just praying to God, I'm thinking to myself, I wish I could do that. And I know for some of you that's like a huge shock because I'm the pastor. For some of you, you think I've got like a special room you know, built onto my house. When the walls are, are the, the, on the walls, there's prayer benches, you know, kneeling benches at every one. And then I, I, I wake up at 3 a.m. and I spend four hours in prayer before I take my shower at 7 or whatever it might be. I know that's what you're, what you're thinking. But the truth of the matter is, is that I struggle to pray sometimes. I'm easily distracted. And I'll, I'll start to pray and I'll begin to think about, oh, did I do this or what have I got coming up today? Or I might even sometimes be involved in a a heavy time of prayer. And then as I begin to pray, I start to think, well, am I being, is this selfish for me to ask this? Should I even be talking to God about this thing? And, And so there's all this stuff that can happen when we pray that gets us off track. And I'm not telling you that to say that it's okay for me to be that way. I'm not telling you that so, uh, so that you'll think, uh, um, you know, that you'll think it's fine to do that. I'm telling you that so you'll know if you struggle with it, you're not alone. I'm not an expert on prayer. 
Donnie's not an expert on prayer. Our elders are not experts on prayer. We're all people just like you. We're all people just like the disciples who were regular everyday guys. And we can struggle with it. It can be difficult, but we need to keep at it. See, even though prayer is not the, the thing that I'm best at, what I've determined to do in my life, what I've committed to do in my life, is I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to continue to pray. And if I pray today, and, and I feel like that it was a waste of time because I was so distracted, I'm still going to pray again tonight. And I'm still going to pray again tomorrow. And I'm still going to pray again tomorrow night. And I've committed that I'm going to do that. Not because I want you to be impressed with that. Not because uh, I, I think that, that that will get me a bunch of money or, or anything like that. The reason I've committed to do it is because I know that that's the only hope I've got to know exactly what it is God wants me to do. That He's going to reveal to me what He wants me to do through prayer and then He's going to confirm it in the, in the Scripture and then it's up to me to obey it. And here's the other cool thing about spending time in prayer, even though it's difficult, is that not only do I pray just to know what to do, but as I pray, I begin to think more like Jesus. As I pray, I begin to be drawn closer to Him and become more like Him. The more time I spend in prayer, the better I treat other people. The more time I spend in prayer, the more focused I am on what it is that God wants me to do and less distracted with the things the world wants me to be distracted with. The more time I spend in prayer, the more open my eyes are to seeing the people in my community that need Jesus. The more time I spend in prayer, the better Bible teacher I can be on Sunday mornings. So it's not just about me finding out what needs to happen next. It's about allowing Jesus to transform me and to change me into the man that he wants me to be. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us a way to communicate with you. Lord, we know that prayer is one of those things that um, it's a, it's a non-negotiable when it comes to, to being your child. Uh, when, when Jesus was on earth, he, he taught us how to pray when he, when he prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer, and he talked about prayer. And Father, I confess to you that, that as a pastor, and I confess to you that, that uh, as a church, uh, oftentimes we don't do a real good job of, of holding up our end of the bargain on that and, and praying to you like we should. Lord, sometimes I think we as, we as your followers, we, uh, we pray only when we get things all out of whack. We pray only when we're desperate. And I know that you hear the prayers of the desperate, but Lord, I also know that you want to hear the prayers of those that are riding high and everything's going smoothly. And so, Father, I pray that, that we would become a church that is always calling out to you, that is crying out to you when times are good, that is crying out to you when times are hard. Father, that we would be a church that, that we act only after we've heard the direct word from you that we've heard through prayer that's been confirmed in your word. And God, I ask that you would continue to bless this church. We have so many things to be thankful for. And Father, help us, each one of us, to thank you 
day in and day out for all that you do for us. Help us to become the men and the women that you want us to be. Help us to take the truth of your gospel to the schools that we go to, to the jobs we work at, and to the neighborhoods we live in. You are a good, gracious, kind, and loving God. And help us to be good and gracious and kind and loving people to everyone we come in contact with this week. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.